Wrestling fans, a quick thank you to our sponsor, Spartan Combat. They're hosting the Rocket City Rumble June 30th through July 3rd in Huntsville, Alabama. Register now at SpartanCombat.com. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast presented by Spartan Combat. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Our guest today is Richie Savage Lewis. Richie got his college career started at Iowa Central, where he was a national runner-up and took third at the JUCO Nationals. Then he went to Rutgers, two-time NCAA qualifier, and a U23 world champ. Today, Richie is a professional MMA fighter fighting for Sanford MMA down in Florida. Absolutely love this conversation. I hope you do as well, folks. Fan of the week goes to our friend CJ Bostwick, head coach at Elmira College. Thank you so much for the support. We appreciate it, CJ. And without further ado, folks, let's give it up for the great Richie Lewis. Richie Lewis, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you. It's good to have you, man. An up-and-coming MMA star, a world champ, but most importantly, competing in the Stalemate Street League. And uh, is it a week now? Yeah, I think seven days from now. And was the last match the World Trials in 2019? Uh, yep. So I 2019, uh, no, 2018, uh, 18 or 19, I think. I uh, won the Schultz, and then I took fourth at Charles, and that was it. Nice, man. What prompted you to get back on the mat? Uh, I was just ready, man. I'm ready to compete. That's all I really want to do now. Um, I want to. I'm a combat athlete. I'm not just an MMA fighter. I'm not just a wrestler. I'm not just a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guy. Uh, I want to box. I want to do it all. So uh, I put my body and my mind uh, into a place where I'm good enough to compete in all those things. And now that I'm here, I'm just looking for whatever opportunity comes by. Yeah, and it's like I was reading an article that you went through like 300 some opponents before you got your last MMA fight. So like opponents for you are hard to come by in this world. Yeah, they're, they're pretty hard to come by. Um, we even offered up my purse to, to fight some guys last time. And we literally reached out to, to 300 guys. I had one guy who signed the contract and then about four weeks before he backed out. Then we had another guy come in and then in the two week time frame, he backed out and we had to literally reach out to 300 guys. <laughs> And 
it was crazy. I mean, I didn't. My manager did. Right, but. right, right. But you're like, the crazy thing is that you skipped the amateurs, went right to pro, and you're still having those issues with only two fights, three fights under your belt. Yeah, I know. My last, not the last one, but the second one, I beat a pretty big prospect out of his gym couture. Um, and I TKO'd him. And I think, I think uh, since I'm a wrestler, I don't just, I don't, I'm not a wrestler that just grabs guys and sits on guys. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of damage to people's faces and they're getting TKO'd and they're getting dominated and they're getting hurt. Uh, and I think people see that and they, they don't want that to happen to them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, you've had, um, you know, this kind of aura about you that it, it's more than just wrestling. You know, you are, a you're, you're kind of a one man promotional show and you get people excited about matches. And that's why I love watching you compete. And, you know, once you were at Rutgers, I'm like, man, what a perfect spot for you. But, I love to hear about your story from Iowa Central because, you know, coming out of Tom's River, you were looking at some D1 schools, ultimately ended up in, out in Iowa Central. How did you end up way at Fort Dodge? Uh, man, so I was a sophomore in college. And, I mean, in high school, and I used to look up to, like, Frankie Cagnina and the Gagans. And uh, that's where they went to school. And I was an Apex guy, uh, Damian Logan. So I was like, I could either, I was behind in wrestling, so I wasn't like a ranked guy. I wasn't, I was just like a good wrestler amongst the state, like took seventh my sophomore year. Um, and I was like, I could either do school and wrestle, or I just put all my time into wrestling. Um, and that was also wild when I was in high school. So I would just do really whatever. I didn't focus on school and then uh, just focused all on wrestling and then caught up in terms of wrestling. Mm-hmm. And then said, I'll just go to Iowa Central. So I kind of made that commitment when I was like 15, 16. What? Yeah. Dang. I was like, I'm just not going to worry about school. Get as good as I can at wrestling. Do my two years of JUCO and I'll have a better time. So I just made the trade-off and, and it worked for me. <laughs> and did you grow up in the Toms River area? Uh, no. So I grew up in um, Edison, which is like an hour north. I went to school in Edison and then I went to school in New Brunswick, man. I went to like detention school in eighth grade instead of going to like a like a, a kid prison and stuff. I, was, I had a crazy wild upbringing. What uh you know so you you kind of had some trouble in middle school and then you go to Tom's River. Was a uh, family there or are you living on your own? Oh no, my aunt was there the first year. Um, so I went to live with my aunt. Uh, it was good. She's a follower of Christ and and all that. So it was kind of a little bit of a reform, and then uh. And then, yeah, I, I lived down there with my mom. And then once Hurricane Sandy happened, um, I moved around from house to house. I had my uncle down there. I had some friends down there. And uh, it was good for me, though. Tundra was a really good change and uh, a different scenery. It was the demographic was different. So it was a lot easier to to get by without getting in trouble. Yeah. And they've you know had a storied wrestling program and you know frankie eggers come from there did you have a chance to watch what's that bj kenny theobald i mean big del five we were pretty good and what kind of an impact did did coach reed have on you when you were there oh man i got a tattoo a raider (laughs) love it nothing greater than a raider warren reed He's a, uh, he's, 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 he's big influence in my life, man. I would say, you know, Moffitt and him are, have been the two biggest wrestling coaches um, to have impacts on me. 
uh, in terms of human development. And uh, and yeah, man, he was just a legend. Get your legs back. We'd we'd have we'd put the radio we put the radio on and play like hip hop songs. He'd run over to it and kick it, and he'd be like, "What's you putting on all this cussing?" He still talk like he's from Oklahoma, you know. Dude, I love it. How does he compare with Coach Moffat's approach? Uh, I think that both of them are very um. They're they're very calm. They're they're emotional, but they don't lead with their emotions. So, like they're 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 not reactive people. They're very. If they see something they don't like, they can choose whether they want to take action on it or not. Whether it's worth it to take action on it or not, you kind of see them like think before they act. And uh, that's something that I believe takes ultimate power to have control of your emotions and then rather uh, choose act, take action based on your emotions. You take the action based on what you believe is best. And that's something that uh, both of them definitely did. Yeah, it's something that's, that's a hard thing to master for anyone. You know, you, you hear about these guys who their friends are like, oh yeah, so-and-so's never blown up before, never got angry, never yelled. And which is crazy if you grow up in a community where there's just a lot of yelling and a lot of aggression, you know, and exactly. And, and, and they, they've, I, they've been mad at me. They've, they've been mad at the guys. I've seen them yell. I've seen them lose their temper, but it's, it, it, it wasn't all too common. And if it was, it was to get an objective done. So, and I, the other thing I think is uh, my coach, coach Warren Reed and coach Luke Moffitt, they believed in hard work, man. And, I had to run so much, dude. <laughs> I thought I was on the track team with those two coaches. <laughs> At Rutgers, it wasn't as bad. It, we didn't have to run too much, but man. And once we you got to- once you got out to Iowa Central, what was your first impression of uh, of the Dirty Dodge, as they say? So I flew out to Iowa, and then uh, I touched down. And as soon as I touched down, Moffitt's like, all right, I'm going to take you somewhere. And takes me to uh, his buddy's farm. And there's like a billy goat there. He's like, you want to wrestle it? And I'm like, fuck it. Yeah, let's do it. And uh, let's let's go to billy goat. And this thing's like rearing towards me. He's like, grab it. Grab it by the horns. Boom, I grab him by the horns. And the thing starts bucking, man. And I don't know what to do. I'm a city boy, you know? So so I'm I'm going nervous. And I let it go. And then uh, he tries to go again. So I start running. He's like, don't turn your back to it. That's when he's going to try and... uh, and clip you, you know. Oh and they're shit! Always, and they're laughing the whole time, and then, uh, and then, yeah, I grabbed one more time, and I was like, I just came out of my face. But uh, he actually did that with a couple guys. And Pat Hunter, you remember Pat Hunter? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a video out there somewhere. Maybe you can ask Bob for it. A Pat Hunter with a helmet on, uh, ramming him <laughs> head to head. Head to head. So, like, how big is it go? I'm thinking, like, it come up to your hip, or is it bigger than that? Yeah, about, it's, I'd say it's about 100, uh, it was about 130 pounds down, 120 pounds. Damn. Bigger than a dog, for sure. So, things could go wrong if, uh, if something happened. Like, it has the potential. Yeah, but that's the fun, man. That's the fun in wrestling. The fun of fighting is the danger. True. You know, that's right. Yeah. That's the excitement. 
So when you got out to uh, out to your dorm and you're, you're on campus, who were some of the teammates on that initial team? Uh, Ryan Niven, um, Pat Downey. I remember J.J. Alpha was there, Alex De La Cruz. Uh, Malcolm Allen, he's a great guy. He just had his D2 guy one. He's coaching now. Who else do you have? It was pretty good. My first year, we took like third or fifth, and my second year, we won it. Dude, the, the story of you guys winning it your second year when you lost in the first round and you come back. Dude. So, before we even get there, though, we got a, you know, I read an article that said when you first got out there, you were still kind of battling authority. You know, you were still going through kind of the grinds up and downs of it. You make it all the way through the season and take second to the Cuban. I can't remember his name. Um, he was actually my teammate down here for a while. And he's pretty good friends now. Got it. And so you, you make it through that season. And then what, how did that kind of impact you taking second that first year? It just made me, I never knew how to win, man. I knew how I was just, I was just good. And I was just getting better. And I was a lot behind. I did, did a lot of catching up over the years, and uh, I was just focused on getting better at wrestling, and I didn't really know how to win, and I feel like that's what started to shift my mind to to competing. I didn't really get, like, the – that, like, winning, you know, some people are just winners until maybe, like, this year, maybe a year ago. I caught glimpse of it, glimpses of it. Sorry, I'm going to call. I'm gonna so I caught glimpses of it, um, but inconsistently. And I think that that match was the catalyst for it because I was always trying to prove it to other people that um, I could be one of the best in the country, one of the best in the world, that I, I, I earned to be a Division One guy or I deserve to be a national champion or I deserve to be a world champion or whatever the case may be. And I was trying to prove it to everyone else. Um, and now I just want to prove it to myself, you know, and then because once people believe in you, that you are that good. So now people are telling me, yeah, we believe in you. Yeah, you can do this. Yeah, here's a scholarship. Yeah, go represent us. Like, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. that's to me. So I was looking for that external validation. So then once I received it, subconsciously, like the job was already done. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of started to focus on how like real winners win so like how come it started with how come Arsenal is performing at this level consistently how is Nick Soriano performing at this level consistently when they do lose what what was going through their head when they do win what was going through their head uh so starting to change the frame of how I approach um combat um and just taking it from people who are winners. And it gets deep, man. Like, I, 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 every time I talk to Jordan Burroughs, Jordan Oliver, Donnie Pitzloff, like, top-level guys, those are three guys who really taught me a lot about this. Um, just pick a brand and, and what they're doing, man. I started to do it. And now the only thing I care about is winning and competing. And I've noticed myself get 10 times better at every sport, you know? Mm-hmm. Everything I do. Really? It applies to everything in life. It applies to everything, man. And it's going to sound crazy, but I don't feel like I can lose. Uh, I can never say that before. I used to be scared to compete. Mm-hmm. I used to love to win. I used to love to win. Love to win. And now is what I know how to do, and I love to compete. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> so did you, did it accompany um, like a difference in like your training habits and your preparation as well? Or how did, like, how did that change happen? Um, yeah, definitely my, uh, my training habits. So my training habits built confidence. So I had to build a very serious base. I also uh, had to have the right people around me. Um, when I was younger, uh, I grew up in a middle-class family, you know, so I, we had resources, but we didn't have an abundance of resources, right, to do whatever we wanted. So I think I kind of realized I have to acquire resources. So once I won the world championship, I said, okay, I won the world championship. So that, and I had a great rest of, no, I don't want to say amazing, but I had a great wrestling career at Rutgers. And that qualifies me for something, right? Mm-hmm. Qualifies me for attention of a certain amount. It could get me in the door in certain places. Um, and now the next thing I need to do is like acquire resources um, fiscally and human resources uh, after fiscal in terms to to make my whole career work, you know? Mm-hmm. So after I graduated from college, I just kind of focused fiscally for a year and a half and uh, healed my neck, healed my knee and uh, acquired resources, right? So then now I could pay for any opportunity that I wanted to. Um, and people can't tell me what to do, right? So now I moved down to Miami. Now I have the right people around me because I'm able to say, hey, Yo, go quit your full-time job. We're going to go do this. We have this income coming in. We have this going on. We're going to grow this business. And as we're growing this business, you know, this is what's going to fund this. This is what's going to pay the coaches. This is what's going to pay the diet. This is what's going to get us flights. I can do whatever I, can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. So, so once, once you have the power to do that, you can fully focus on um, the sport. Yeah. And I feel, and I feel like honestly, that's why it's crazy because you see, you see generally the best athletes in the world either come from um, uh, very low socioeconomic families or very high socioeconomic families. And it's because those two things, they give you two different uh drivers they give you two different resource pools to use here you have nothing so you have this ultimate drive um you have this know-how um you're probably going to be very athletic because your genes are based on 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 working class or surviving class right and then on this side you have unlimited resources to attention to knowledge to opportunity mm-hmm. um so what i think that i realized was hey i i, I mean like I said, I come from a middle-class family, but I, I also had a wild up brand. I was in 17 different homes. I'm in the detention schools and whatever. So I have this drive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have this desire to be great. And now I need to acquire this, this, this side of the resources. And if I can put those two together, I think I'll become the best athlete in the world. And that's what I did. And, and, and that's what I think I'm doing now. Yeah, that's that's what all comes together. And it's also you think about those guys who have all the resources. There's a lot of confidence that comes from seeing successful people around them, whereas people who are in those lower socioeconomic places, they've never seen someone do the right thing consistently. You know, so it's weight, such an impact. 
Yeah, I agree, man. I agree, and I've seen it. And I've seen guys become the best from both and lose it from both. Mm-hmm. I've seen the guys that can't, can't transition from college. I've seen guys that can't transition to the next level. I've seen guys that are on huge winning streaks in MMA and fighting, boxing, whatever, and, and, and they lose it, and it's, and it's hard to get back, man. And, and I've studied all those guys, and it took a long time. And I think that's why I was scared to compete because I didn't know all these things. And I did all the research, and and now it's applying theory, and it feels fucking amazing. Yeah, it, it's it's liberating to see you living like that, and you're training, you're doing your thing, you're on the on the upswing right now. And if we go back to Iowa Central, so that first year you're still kind of doing your thing, you get second, then you start getting the recognition, the belief. How did you like? What changed for you during that second year when they say you became like a team leader and like you know selfless versus selfish, that kind of stuff. I think I think it was just like paying my dues, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I'm a very hard worker, uh, so I didn't think anybody really outworked me. Um, and I think my voice was was strong, but it was also a reason. Uh, I think we had a very good freshman class coming in, and I think that you know I would help those guys with their weight cut. I'd help those guys with whatever they needed, man, and. Uh, and yeah, I just wanted to, I just wanted to win as a team. I just wanted to be part of the culture and, and I really felt it there. And yeah, that was it. What happened at nationals your sophomore year? Um, I'm beating Ryan Coakley. Mm-hmm. He's coaching Iowa Central now, right? Yeah. He, I was, I was beat, I beat him during the year, major dumb. And then I was beating him by like 12 points. And it was going to be a tight race, you know, to talk to me. So my coach, Martha wanted me to get bonus. And I was also extremely confident. And he ended up headlocking me and pitting me. And I was up by like 12 or 13. And now, yeah, I beat the Johansi, who beat me in the finals three times. And then in the finals was with him was Eliezer, and he was my teammate. And, I mean, those guys that, like, they're my friends and everything now, but that's like a pin or a tech for me, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it, it sucks. And, and that's also when I learned about the winning thing and – can I be a winner? Do I have this in me? Like, you know, you just do a bunch of self-reflection and you realize who you are. Like without those losses, like I wouldn't be in the position I am. I've never, I never in my life thought I'd be like you said, it's liberating to see. It's liberating to feel like this. And, and in my life, I really never thought I felt like this would ever feel like this. Well, and how, how close were you to throwing in the towel after that first round loss and just sliding out versus battling back for third like you did? Like, what was that conversation like? Oh, I think you already know. <laughs> it wasn't good. It wasn't good, man. I uh Yeah. It wasn't good. I uh definitely have dealt with depression and uh I just was really depressed man, at that point because I wanted to win so bad and I wanted to prove to everyone and myself that like I can I can do it. And, it just was super demoralizing, man. And uh, I definitely wanted to quit. And I came back and did it for my team. I got third, you know. Uh, Luke Moffat told me, he said, he's like, you know, you got to get the next best thing. Sometimes in life, you don't always get what you want. And I, I feel like it was a big reason why I am the way I am today. More of a reason than than losing. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The fact that I came back and took third when I didn't want to. And the thing that fucking sucks is that, like, I've beaten probably, like, 
20, 30, 40 Division One All-Americans. I've, I've beaten national finalists. I don't, I don't know. I may be a couple of national champions. I'm not sure, though, on that one. And I never was an All-American. And so, like, to me, in my mind, winning, an, winning a junior college national title is fairly easy to do. There's been a lot of people that I'm 10 times better than that have won junior college national titles. There's been people that I'm better than that have won national titles and multiple time All-Americans. Mm -hmm. Because I know, because I've actually teched multiple of them. And um, yeah, so it sucks that I didn't do it, but it's because I wasn't a winner yet. And like, I know I keep bringing that concept up, but like without putting all that work in to get this good and then those losses, I wouldn't um, understand it. And I feel like I came, I, came, I, I was only on, the, on a high level for what, a year? My senior year, when I, I was ranked, you know, mm-hmm. I was ranked two behind behind North because I had beaten Berger before for uh, the trials, and I beat him like five times before that. And so he was ranked third. And then I'm only on that level for how long? From 2017 November until World Team Trials 2018. That's the only time I was ever competing at a high level. You know, right. what right. Yeah. It, it goes fast because you won the worlds in 2017, 2017, December. That was so. Fall. Yeah. 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 So November to, to the next year was, was the only time that I was really considered a, a high level athlete, a high level wrestler, mm-hmm. you know, and I just had to learn how to win. And then I learned how to win and I got to learn how to, and then I learned how to do it consistently. So you're going to see a whole different evolution of Richie Lewis. A lot of people don't really know that. They just see who's this guy saying this, who's this guy saying that, bro, I've been at, at a, at, at the form that, at a good form for one, for one year that people have seen competition wise. Mm-hmm. And now I took a break, trained MMA, did all these things, took all these lessons. Now I've been competing MMA for one year. I've only competed MMA for one year. I've trained for about um, two years, but. Now you're seeing a different animal come out. So you've only seen me compete for two years, man, at the level, at this level. Best is yet to come then, no doubt. Uh, exactly. And the kids are walking football. <laughs> That's the best part, man. Like, even if you were as good talent-wise without the, uh, without the hype behind it, it's half, it's half, the, it's half the butter, you know? So like uh, you're... That's half the battle, bro. And guess what? These other dudes, they've been competing on a high level for... 10 years, five years, winning national titles at Fargo. Well, my ass in the stands. Ian mm-hmm. Miller, when I was a junior, won his university, his first university title. When I was a junior in high school, taking fifth in the state of New Jersey. <laughs> Dude, and, you know, that's what I'm saying. These dudes been on this level for years, man. I've been on this, I've been on this level for two years. And and look what I'm doing, man. Wait, wait ceilings, five ceilings way higher because those guys may already be at their full potential. Not only that, but look how much look how much attention that I can garnish in a very short period of time. <clears throat> right. Winning winning a few tournaments, the Dave Schultz and the U twenty threes. Dude, so let's I talk want, about I want two tournaments. Come on. And then and now imagine <laughs> and now imagine if I'm fucking winning all the time. It's game over, man. 
Dude, it's crazy to say that someone as accomplished as you, you think of yourself as only winning two tournaments. When in reality, you've probably won a lot, but like those are the only ones you put on your level that you consider titles. You know, the uh, that's it. Wow. So you're wrestling Ian Miller at the Stalemate Street League next week. It was supposed to be Marinelli. What happened there, man? Nah, Marinelli is just the. I was. You know what? I wanted to talk shit on Marinelli, but I'll talk shit on Tom Brands instead. So. Okay. So was this Marinelli, agreed to ahead of time, though? Like, you and Marinelli agreed to wrestle, done deal. Yeah, because I wouldn't have put out the promotion if it wasn't agreed to. Okay. And uh, Alex was pretty much ready to go and ready to wrestle. Well, he, he made the agreement. Um, everything was done. And then Tom saying or thinking that we're conspiring to beat him in a short period of time and I have the advantage and it's five minutes and they want more time and more weight and – I'm like, bro, I haven't wrestled in three and a half years. I'm coming to fucking Iowa. Um, we're getting paid to wrestle. What's the problem? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm, it's like, you, the, oh, it's at 170 pounds and you want more weight. Okay, I'll go. El Marino doesn't have to weigh in. I don't care. I weighed the other day 166.8. That's why I put the video up. Um, there was not there's and Tom was like, yeah, everything's on Richie's terms. Um, yeah, no shit, because I'm a businessman, I know how to negotiate. <laughs> of course, things are gonna be on my terms. I said, but you made the agreement. Um, but you know what? I don't care. I just want to wrestle. We could both make a little money, we could both have a good time. Um, I think it's beneficial for me, win or lose. So whatever rules that you want, we could do, you know. Un- unlimited weight class, unlimited time. Let's do it, dog. Let's do it because I know if it goes through unlimited time, it starts pulling on my head too hard. I'm like, don't win a couple of weeks. <laughs> so I was hoping they would agree to that one. <laughs> well, it's like you said, though. I mean, you haven't been, I'm, I know you've been wrestling for training, but not like college wrestling. He's coming off a season, you know, so I don't see how it could be um, advantage one way or the other in that sense. And I compete at 155 pounds. That's right. Oh, yeah, you fight, man. So when you won that world title, what was that? 55 ish 54.54 yeah. i thought you'd never see that weight again man let's see how sucked down you were but it's just crazy to see how much you've changed your diet and your discipline because that's your <laughs> that's your yeah, that's yeah. your fighting weight right 155 yeah 155 is my fighting weight I'm big boy dude how how big were you the day after that that weigh-in at the uh, at poland for the worlds uh 172 173 in one day wow yeah and you don't even get that big now, because like you said, when you were kind of goading Marinelli, you stepped on the scale 166, so you've leaned out quite a bit. Yeah, that's because uh, I, I have a fight coming up, though. I'm, I normally am around like uh, 176. Got it. Yeah. So so you hear, so going back to Stamets, you hear that it's off, and then are you thinking the whole thing's off, or you knew there'd be someone to step in? I'm like, bro, I'm like, I already set up a clinic in Iowa, like, I'm trying to get paid, bro. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I was like, above all else, like, I'm 27 years old, you know? Like, I've done businesses. Uh, I fight, but I'm not in the UFC yet, you know? And honestly, we're, we're getting paid good money to fuck, to, to, to do that. Like, on that weekend, I'm, I was making 10 figures off of wrestling. Wow. I mean, sorry, not 10 figures, but five figures. Right. 10,000. 10, yeah, yeah doing two clinics, the match, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, 
that's fucking wrestling, bro. Just like it's easy, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so I really wanted to make sure that that I got that done, and and then kind of put my grips back in the sport a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, it's cool that you you hustle like that, where you put together a couple clinics, and you know, it's not just the wrestling. You know, you're 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 doing a lot, giving back at the clinics, building a business. So it's Why awesome did that you stop wrestling. Uh, money wise. Yeah, there's no fucking money in it, yeah. dude. And what am I gonna? Why am I gonna do? Wrestling is harder than MMA. Clip this. I do MMA because I can make more money a lot easier than I can win in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Wrestling is harder than MMA. The training, the matches. The only thing that's harder than MMA is the is the the fifteen minutes that you fight for, and you only do it three four times a year. Mm-hmm. Once you're at the highest level, you only do it twice and you get paid millions to do it. It's a beautiful thing, man. I'm so excited that MMA's gotten as big as it has. And, you know, obviously the wrestler pipeline's insane. So Ian Miller steps in, you're, you're wrestling him. I almost said fighting. You're wrestling him. And then, you know, going back to your main career, you know, the fighting game, are you down in, you're down in Florida. Are you at Sanford or are you, yep, are you at these Stanford. days? Are you are. Greg Jones, Tommy Berzini, who used to coach at Oak State. But, but yeah, those much of wrestling coaches, Cammy and Greg Jones. And then uh, Mitch McKee's here, uh, Logan Storley. Mikey Blokas actually just came down the other day. We were, I was training with him. He just took fourth at the Open. Yeah. So and it, that facility's gonna... massive, right? Yeah, Barwis. It's, it's, so it's, it's connected with Barwis, who was the strength and conditioning coach mm-hmm. at West Virginia, legend guy. And then uh Sanford Medical. So yeah. And what's who's the striking coach? Henry Hoof? Henry Hoof, yeah. My strike yeah. coach. Uh he's one of my strike coaches and so is Dieter Navarro. Okay. He's an up and coming Cuban uh boxer coach. Got it. And so what is the what is like the day in the life look like for you when you're getting ready for a fight? Uh man, I wake up and then I mean, I'm, I'm pretty lucky and blessed. Like I have a, I have, there's like no other word to put on it. So it's kind of like everything on one side of this guy's name's Jerry and he's my friend, my best friend, my brother, my business partner, my coach, my handler, man slash manager. You know, I have paradigm sports as Tim Simpson shout out. He's like, he manages like Connor uh, McGregor. He has a sign. He's a great manager. I have a great team. But this guy, Jerry, you know, just make sure he, he devoted his whole life to make sure that we can accomplish our goals of, of, of our legacy of him being a, a coach and me being a world champion. And then further down that is building our business legacies for our family. So a day in the life looks like in the morning, I come pick him up or he'll come pick me up. I'll talk about what we're doing for the day. And then literally it's eight o'clock to, to eight o'clock from training uh, to media, to recovery, to business, to uh, training again. Uh, sometimes it ends at six, sometimes it ends at 10, but but yeah, that's all I do all day. We ride around, drag it out, make sales. Uh, if I'm tired, he says, all right, drops me off, I go rest for three hours, pick it back up, and, and we get to it. I mean, you got a lot going on too because you got you got Apex Fitness, you got the NFT, which looks Aper. Aper, excuse me, Aper. I can't remember my own handwriting. Um, no. What is the NFT collection? Because that's fascinating to me. Uh, so that's just a startup that we're doing right now. 
Um, it's going to be a, a trading card game. It's called Our Gateway. And basically, we're going to release the NFTs on the blockchain. And then uh, you're going to be able to convert the digital NFT, the, the NFTs into digital assets and be able to play it um, in the game. Mm. Um, and then it's, it's an IO. So it's going to start off as a TCG game, but it's going to have a bunch of different iterations. So right now, we're like building our comic book. Uh, we have like 30 people like that are working for us actually. We're doing comic books, we're doing uh, video games, we're gonna be doing short clips and movies. Uh, you gotta decide how we're gonna get the lease. It's kind of wild, man. We're signing athletes. We have like Olympians, world champions, um, social media influencers, like millions of followers signed to us. So it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, pretty cool, man. And we're just getting an artist. That's probably the most important part is we have some insane artists, mm -hmm. uh, some famous artists from around the world, from Asia, from Spain, some from America. And we're, we haven't really started marketing yet. We're just kind of build, building the, the play system and, and everything, yeah. Oh, I just saw it on Instagram. It looks sweet. And you know, that's a, it's an emerging technology, which it's exciting and it's, you know, just kind of wrapping my head around it. So it's awesome that you're on the, the cusp of it. Yeah, man. And it's cool. I'm a, I'm a fighter and I'm already having fun. Like you would think a fighter, oh, your daily life is fight. And like someone in my position is, bro is broke. Like we get paid fucking probably four grand to fight. And I get paid that because I'm a world champion. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, once maybe after a couple more wins, you start making five or 10,000 to fight. And it's like, I'm sitting, down with VCs talking about like projects and six figure things and it's just like it's it's funny <laughs> it's exciting though man you got a lot of positive energy around you right now and one period of your life that I thought was really interesting was after your senior year in college you go on this road trip cross-country road trip tell us about that and kind of what came of that how did you know that do my digging dog how did you know? <laughs> yeah, like you mentioned in another podcast. I can't, it was one where you were sitting in a wrestling room and some guy was interviewing you and you were. I got the other one with Channing Center. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. All right. So, so yeah, man, after I got done with college, I didn't know what I want to do with my life. I was like, do I want to go do MMA? Do I want to keep wrestling? Um, you know, not to put anything bad out there, but there's a lot of, I was in a toxic environment. Um, where I was at at Rutgers, and a lot of guys faced this. I think I think I'll be I'll be the first guy to to bring it out loudly. There's a big issue in wrestling with um the mismanagement of wrestlers. I believe across the board of dealing with injuries, of dealing with mental health, of dealing with with problems. It's win it's it's win at all costs, but it's okay, for what reward? And as athletes, we're supposed to sit down, we're supposed to lay down and, and love God, listen to what our teachers are saying, listen to what our coaches are saying, and not have our own fucking opinions. And when you come across a guy like me who doesn't give a fuck, of course I love God, you know? But <laughs> besides that, I don't give a fuck what you got to say. If it ain't the best thing for me, then I ain't fucking doing it for you. And if you want something from me, I'm going to give it to you. But you to these these they have to be transactional quid pro quo and they have to be and they have to be mutually beneficial 
And that's a huge thing in wrestling is that they've been able to own these athletes for a long time because it's about hard work. It's about drive. It's about putting your nose down and grinding. It's about, you think I could talk to the way, the way that I talk shit, you think I could do that in, in wrestling and try and compete and make world teams? No. Like it's like, look what happened. Obviously, Pat Down is a very extreme, mm-hmm. um, extreme version. I think he's done some things that are definitely over the line. But even when he does things that are not over the line, it's 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 not it's not cool. You know what I'm saying? And they run like him out Carter, of town. Yeah, like Carter Storacci right now. What he's doing? I mean, like <laughs> I love he's like, you brought that up. It's he's the first guy that's able so we're seeing the culture change so he's like the first guy that's able to start talking shit like how we just talked shit on chance and 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 jordan the other day Mm -hmm. like i'm like cool man like that's kind of cool you should be there first i don't yeah i don't think he i don't think he was but when he's talking shit on these other ncaa guys it's cool but it's not not of a go but but (laughs) the fact that he can do that now and not be not be have his coach call him and be like hey you got to take this all on Instagram. Although I do believe there is some of that because we've done a couple NIL deals where we've made dudes thousands of dollars in one day and their coaches, you got to focus on wrestling. You got to focus on wrestling. And if you see my Instagram, you'll see, obviously, you know who I'm talking about, but I made this dude three, four thousand dollars in one day off of, off, of, off of clothing. Really? I and missed then, that part. I'm holding, totally missed that. I can't, I can't That's okay. really say who it is. That's but, okay. but if you, you it's easy to, to see okay. if you go look at who All I right. work with. And you can't do it again because your coaches don't want you to. Or the NIL deal is, is different because the, the administration at the school wants you to work differently. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what the fuck? I'm paying your outfit thousands of dollars and he's mm-hmm. happy. Well, it kind of goes along with the theme of, you know, now that NIL is starting to really impact transfers a lot, it, it's upsetting and scary to a lot of people that the athletes have the power to go now. And, and, you know, finally, it just seems like the tables are reversed the way they've always should have been. You know, I mean, imagine if you had NIL in your day. I could only imagine because uh, that's a big reason I went to Rutgers because the best thing that happened at Rutgers was its fan base. You know, and, and, the, and what that has done for me because. I'm wrestling every weekend in front of 3,000 to 7,000 people, right? Every week, twice a week, in uh, one of the best arenas in, in, in college sports, mm-hmm. in the rack, mm-hmm. in New Jersey, where people are rowdy, and people are in your face, and people are screaming, and there's pressure, and there's smoke, and there's media. And, and you're Mr. Ath- New Jersey. And your, athletic direct- <laughs> and your athletic director is sitting right there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now it's the, the rack is I've only been there once. It was the big tens 2020 and it was awesome. My brother and I went and it was rowdy. It was when C bass announced announced, or he might, he hadn't announced he was coming back yet, but he gave a shout to Jersey. And I think about how much Jersey pride you have, you know, and I can only imagine what it was like when you were in there and you guys were on some great teams. So you yeah, finished we Nebraska. We were number four in the country at one point. And you had what Soriano, Ashnall, Van Brill, like all those guys, right? Yeah, so so my freshman year, we had Billy, Billy Smith, heavyweight, Anthony Parati, me, and Brill, Ashnault, uh, Tyson Dippery, 
we were pretty good. And then, and that was our best team that we've ever had for sure. Cause mm-hmm. we beat Nebraska ranked top four. Scott Delvecchio. Uh, we were good. And then my senior year, we had Soriano, Ashnall, me. And those are really just three bangers that we had. And everyone else was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And so after your senior year, heartbreaker in the bloodhound, <laughs> you go on this road trip. What's your first stop? I was talking about this fucking road trip. My first stop was to join the Kennetown, Ohio State. Okay. I and called Joey on the way. I bought him, I bought him a bag of gobblegum. <laughs> swear to God. Really? I have. So, so Joey uh, has a house in Tom's River, uh, like a beach house. So okay. there's this really famous Italian deli in Tom's River. So uh, we were leaving from Tom's River. So right before I, I went to go see Joey, uh, I picked it up and him and Chase Singletary ate it up real, real quick. <laughs> so is Tom's River like part beach town for millionaires, part normal people or? Yeah. So, so Tom's River, the socioeconomic classes go from, uh, from dirt to rich. Filthy. Which is filthy. <laughs> like, Got it. Filthy. Like most of those guys from up north from Blair and Bosco and St. Peter's Prep, they all have houses uh, in Tom's River. So a lot of the rest, a lot of the wrestlers, like Ashman and all those dudes, they got all got houses down there, you know? So growing <laughs> up, we would all hang out uh, and stuff. Tom's River is probably the best place to grow up in New Jersey because you get so culturally um, educated and you got to be so smart, like, to 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 survive you know and Mm -hmm. to to thrive and i'm a big believer in social hierarchies and stuff and uh that shit taught me so much living there because you see so much man Mm -hmm. you you can learn to be like a chameleon with different you know wherever you need to be right so you can survive anywhere at some point hey like for a great example i know like on your podcast you're a nice guy so we're not going to be talking trash and we're not going to be cussing and, mm-hmm. but you get on with with zeb miller i'm gonna be screaming and loud and <laughs> you know and and you gotta learn those things and growing up in new jersey and growing up in, in like a city-ish type area with seeing a lot you you gotta know how to do those things absolutely yeah no i saw that interview with zeb i love zeb by the way he's the man he's always been the goat man he's, he's a the good best. guy so you stop at ohio state and are you on this trip? I guess what I'm trying to get at is what are you looking for on this trip? Are you trying to find out where you want to do an RTC? Are you trying to find out if you want to go MMA? Are you just trying to find out kind of what your direction is? Yeah, I was just trying to find out what, what RTC I wanted to go to and, and what my direction was. I, I, I was pretty committed to um, I was pretty committed to the 2020 Olympics. Um, I felt like I was I was good enough to to wrestle with those guys and beat them. Um I just wanted to figure out what the right place was for me to do that at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I ended up getting hurt. Like I was hurt for the whole season. Uh, my senior year when I came back from the world and I had to kind of wrestle through it. That's part of the reason I said the thing about Rutgers that I did. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, and then, yeah, once I got hurt, I, I was like, I won the shows at this point of the trials. I wasn't really training. I was training like twice a week. And I was like, man, I know I'm fucking good, but I'm not going to be burrows with a bum neck and a bum knee. Mm-hmm. That's two out of three after beating Kyle Dave. Um, and if I, I can, but am I willing to 
to, to dedicate my life towards that for the payoff. No. Okay. I'll wrestle for a year, do what I do what I want, save up money, start my financial goals, start presenting jujitsu, wrestle, that'll get me by, heal my injuries, grow financially, now we start fighting. And yep. I took that route and now I'm here. <laughs> Dude, on the rise, I'm so glad you brought up jujitsu because that was the last thing I wanted to ask you about was you know, you're at Henzo's in New York City, one of the biggest jujitsu schools in the world. You have the great John Donaher, you have Gary Tonin popping in and out. What did you what did you pick up from Donaher and the way he teaches versus like how wrestling coaches teach? Uh, so I think I learned a lot of different things from the different disciplines because uh, everything has a different style. So like in wrestling, there's a general style, right? But then there's Iowa style, then you got like Oklahoma State, and then you got uh, Big Ten style, you know, so I came into jiu-jitsu learning this methodical, always looking to put people in dilemmas and really thinking and isometric and chess type of jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot slower paced jiu-jitsu um, is, is what I was taught there. And it's surprising how many people that do jiu-jitsu don't do that like in south florida sure like these guys techniques are good and i'm not talking trash about anyone but they're smack they smash packs they grab you they squeeze you and it's like you know that's not jiu-jitsu in the essence of jiu-jitsu you know mm-hmm. and i feel like john donahar really taught like that slow methodic it's mind it's mental warfare but as as much as it's mental warfare, it's also this this physical chess that we're doing, you know. Mm-hmm. And the way that he conceptualized jujitsu definitely helps slow down wrestling for me. And the way that jujitsu people look at the human body is different. Um, and I think I was able to then become a better wrestler from that. Um, and I also think that boxing helped me a lot with that. The way John Hare breaks it down like that is just, you know, you watch some of his DVDs, you're like, God, that makes so much sense. And it's, it's just so much more effective to go from zero to 80 with him because he's got it so broken down. And I know there are some wrestling coaches out there that have it like that, but man, it's just awesome to see his approach. I don't think you can teach wrestling like that. Really? Uh, it's a, it's a, yeah. It's a different sport, man. Wrestling. I think, I think wrestling, you got to just be, athletic and know how to win because once you get to a certain level you're all if you're if you're on this tier of and i'm going to say two-way classes right if you're on this tier of zane jordan oliver yanni and whoever else is at that weight right those are the top tier guys <clears throat> they're all just as good as each other you know mm-hmm. the b tier you know like evan henderson was a guy from the b tier there and he just happened to break through you know a guy like 74 north sort of burrows stink right those guys are are at the top level and they're just all they're all as athletic as each other and there's nothing really that b tier that you're gonna be able to teach these b tier guys there might be one that breaks through once like henderson this year mm-hmm. you know and it's like 
Uh, wrestling is a different sport. Jiu-jitsu, you could bring a guy that never fucking did jiu-jitsu. John Donner trained for two years, and then he can be tapping out uh, black belt to win the ADCC, Nikki Rod. Well, that's Jacob why I'm Brody. saying, like, do you think it's because of the teaching or the sport? Like, do you think it's that Donner is that good of a teacher, or it's because the sport lends itself to that? Because that's an interesting point. Like, you cannot – it takes 20 years to get good at wrestling. Yeah, exactly. I think that um, I think that it's a very new sport uh, in terms of evolution, and I think that it has to do with the way John John teaches, and it's also has to do with the sport. So I think that the way that he effectively teaches the sport, I, I feel like there was an opportunity in the sport for someone like him to do mm-hmm. what he's doing, and he took full advantage of it, and he dedicated his life to it. But he also dedicated thirty years of his life before now to, to, to understand the sport and come up with the cutting edge coaching style that he has, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you only see the top of the mountain, but it's been years in the making, you know, just for him, up for him. And now imagine, imagine, if, imagine this, that 30 years of work. And then he ended up being wrong about his opinion of the sport. <laughs> <laughs> he just so happened to be right. You know what I mean? Right. That's true, because once you get to that point, you're at the point of no return. You can't bail on your principles at that point if it's wrong. Yeah. Just like Elon Musk. Imagine if Tesla never worked out. That's how these geniuses, uh, that's how these geniuses come to be. And that's, and that's kind of how I'm modeling myself, man, is after, after what they're doing. And that's why everyone thinks that I have this different take and this different approach. It's like, yes, I do. Okay. Now let's see if it's going to, now let's see if it's going to work. Well, I'm I'm excited to watch, man. You got you got some fans here in in our you know in Chicago and in my family. Lo- I just love people who are outspoken in wrestling. Outspoken in wrestling. You know, I think back to someone from my home state, Tony Ramos. He let it out there. You know, he he gave people what they wanted a lot. And you, know, Dylan Palacio, of course. I know you guys are Bitcoin buddies, so um, it's just ruggedness for Dylan. There it is, Dylan Palacio. You've been summoned, man. Let's get you on here. Yeah, he has. And that dude has honestly helped me so much in, in in like learning. He's probably one of the smartest guys I know. He's another guy misunderstood, but like deep down, you know, I, I don't know him that well, but I hear that, like you said, super smart, super nice guy, but you don't know what, what you're getting if you only see him through Twitter, you know, and that's obviously not the real person. Yeah. It's kind of crazy that to, to know these people so, so deeply that, that when you, that when people see that, you don't think of, other people's perceptions when you're thinking about your friends um, or yourself too often. So like I came to this realization the other day, uh, maybe a couple, a couple over the past couple months um, just is, is that like what the people see is Richie Savage. So when I talk like I'm Richie Lewis, some people like, they're like, they don't get it. And then I'm like, and then I like, treat when i there's like these two sides of me there's like this alter ego and then there's like my true self and like i'm realizing that sometimes you i need to be able to turn this this side of me off this savage side of me off and some people i think what they don't realize with me specifically is that it's kind of like also a game so like sometimes when i cut promos or i'm saying certain things about people yeah the the, the things that i'm saying might be true and I'm not saying them to hurt anyone's feelings. You know, I'm saying them because it's part of my fucking job. It's, yeah. I, I, and it's, it's awesome. It's fun. I love talking shit to Bone Nickel. I would, that's when you, this whole interview, that's all I thought he about. Is, he 
is a bitch. I'm telling you, he is. And he's extremely successful and he's a great athlete. And he's gonna be extremely successful. And I and I'm actually a fan of his fucking wrestling and the way that he fights and the way he's doing his career. It's fucking awesome. But don't act like you a tough motherfucker from the streets fighting these motherfuckers, dog. Don't act like you some killer. Don't act like that. Because then a real motherfucker like me will step to you. But at the end of the day, that doesn't discredit me from being a fan of his. Am I a fan of his of his punk assness? No, I'm not. <laughs> am I a fan of his amazing talent? Yes, I am. Right, right. <laughs> you know? And people are, 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 are unable to discern the differences between the two. Well, you think about... You know, when you when you were saying that, I the first thing I think about is Magic Johnson and Irving Johnson. You know, Magic Johnson is this maniac, competitive guy, showman. But then Irving Johnson is the person. Right. And he talks about that a lot in his documentary that he has two people. And, you know, the one isn't going to be friends. You have to watch it, bro. Oh, my God. Yeah. Magic Johnson. that's his this is my fucking life. I'm like, bro, I've been treating my fucking mom like this. I've been treating like family members and friends and, and women. And I'm like, bro, damn. I'm like, I got to be able to turn the savage off if I want to become successful in, in relationships. I'm like, savage is going to be a millionaire. You're right. He's going to be need, a UFC champion. I'm like, but the savage wants to have a family, he has to be able to, 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 to distinguish between the two himself. And yes. then now it's been giving me the opportunity to, to express and articulate the right perception of myself, you know? Definitely. And that's been, been what's allowing me to go back to the winning thing, go back to the liberation and, and go back to that and the patience. And, and now I see why Luke Moffat and, and Warren Reed are able to think before they act, you know? You got Rich Lewis, the family man. You got Richie Savage, the fucking killer, bro. Yeah, like I swear to God, Richie Lewis has has no has zero concern for human life. Richie Savage. Richie, Richie Savage. Savage has zero concern for human life. When I step in the cage, I'm willing to die and I'm willing to kill you, and I really don't care about any consequences. Um, when it comes to business, I'm cutthroat. I don't care if if my best friend. I don't care if my family. I don't care who you are, right? But. Richie Lewis cares, has so much empathy. He's Richie Savage almost made to to defend this insecure, uh, caring, empathetic person. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And now I'm actually starting to feel comfortable um, showing that other side of myself. You know what I mean? Definitely. Now I'm telling you, bro, you got to watch this documentary because it talks just about that for like 20 minutes because. After he lost the magic uh, to Larry Bird and he was just heartbroken, his heart was ripped out, all the press is shitting on him. And then you start to see Irving Johnson, the guy who like, actually is vulnerable and does care and does get depressed. But you would never see that if you just watched the magic part, you know, which is the outer shell. So, yeah, it reminds me a lot of that. And uh, uh, I feel like a lot of people can you like you said, I'm a walking promotion, right? Uh, a lot of people can not can only see inside of their box. So a lot of the fans, let's say, that hate, they say you can't do something because they can't do it. So they place their limitations on you because of course that they can't do it. They don't they don't know how. They you know what I mean? So they place limitations on you what they see as possible. Their scope of reality. 
right? Mm-hmm. They place their scope of reality on you. And I feel like a big thing that I'm doing and why I'm very good promotionally and why I have a cultish type following and it's growing is because the people that are following me are are people who are able to to discern the two, break through a bone, see the ego, and then and then see the kind of see the true self of of really what I'm doing. And I feel like for some people that's liberating because they can't do that. Mm-hmm. And they want to. And uh and yeah, if I could be the catalyst for anything, um, it would be that. I love it, man. I love it. Last question for you, Richie. Savage, Richie Lewis, however you want to answer. You know, this podcast is called Wrestling Changed My Life. Wrestling's a big part of who you are, but how is it, you know, how is it kind of shaping and impacting you, your day-to-day now, would you say the most? Like how has it changed my life or how is it or right now, right now? Either way. Uh, man, it changed my life because I grew up uh, hustling and I grew up doing a lot of fucked up shit and uh it just kept me on the just as narrow as i needed to be to stay out of trouble um or get my head too deep into into the streets um so i think that that's how it changed my life and i wouldn't be here without it to be honest um and how it's affecting me right now is it's giving me abundant opportunities and wrestling is the best base for what i'm doing and without without my wrestling career uh I wouldn't be a quarter, a half. I'd be a shell of, of who I am in, in, in what I'm doing, both both business and, uh, and an MMA. Awesome, man. And, and this all goes without saying that your pops was a legendary basketball coach, and yet you still become a wrestler. It's like unbelievable, the journey. Yeah, it's because I was a fighter, man. I, I would go on the basketball court and someone sweat the ball, didn't like it. it was, they'd say, oh, you fouled him. I'd be like, I'd start talking to the ref. <laughs> I was nuts, bro. Dude, when you when you're the world champ and they do a documentary on you, I can't wait to see that footage of you fighting a basketball ref as a middle schooler or something. We got it. Oh no, yeah, I'm talking about sixth grade, fifth grade. I was at, at that age. That's not even bullshit. That's real. Yeah. Wow, dude, that's so a, that's play, crazy. I, I had to play football first, and then dude. So I was a wrestler. I was a I played basketball for a little bit, and then I was too. I was getting into fights. It's too physical. And then uh, they were like, all right, go play football. So I went to play football, and uh, I was pretty good. And you know who my coach was? Scott Gooding. Scotty Win- Scott Winston's dad. Okay. Was my coach in Edison, New Jersey. And uh, and Scotty Winston was a couple years older than me, and he was just like, yeah, you should be a wrestler. You know, you want him to be a professional athlete. Uh, he's probably not going to be a football player. He's too small. Just get him wrestling. And here you are, man, on the climb up. Thank you so much for taking the time, Richie. It's been great to chat with you, my friend. Yes, sir. You're the man. I appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to Wrestling Change My Life. This episode was presented by Spartan Combat. Register for the Rocket City Rumble, taking place June 30th through July 3rd in Huntsville, Alabama at SpartanCombat.com. To watch the full video episode, go to YouTube and search Wrestling Change My Life. That's it. We'll see you next time on the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast.